Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. We hope you're enjoying this weekend before Christmas. Later, home for the holidays. How real estate is doing in the greater Lexington bluegrass region. The leaders of Elbar join us to talk housing trends for 2019. That's ahead this morning. But first, an all of a sudden special legislative session on pensions that went nowhere. Governor Matt Bevan called the session Monday. Lawmakers rushed to Frankfurt to consider a pension bill, but by Tuesday evening, both chambers of the legislature decided to adjourn and go home. Taxpayers get the bill for the special session at about $120,000 or so. WKYT's Hillary Thornton had just returned that very day from maternity leave when we thrust her into covering the session. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> that was all of a sudden for you, right? It You're just was. back and it was late in the afternoon. The call came and we had to move fast. Right. I was kind of getting my footing back, was working on a nice, simple story all day, and then mid-afternoon got word of what was going yeah. to happen that evening. And you did a good job uh, interpreting uh, that and so forth. We want to talk about what happened uh, when all of that went on, and we'll do that. But first, uh, we do uh, want to take a look at some of what was said before, during, and after uh, that two-day session that left us all with some whiplash. Our state Supreme Court has chosen to assume for itself responsibilities that are not given to it constitutionally, and that has created a big financial problem for Kentucky. We have already been contacted by folks with the credit rating agencies. We have already, out of our finance and administration cabinet, provided the information that we need. It is our expectation, unfortunately, that that will not result in good uh, news for Kentucky. But I am going to use the powers that have been granted to me to call the legislature into special session. That will be effective tonight at 8 o'clock. They will be coming in, the first readings of the things that are going to be discussed will take place, and the process will begin. It, it just didn't happen, and I, I think that everybody felt a little bit disappointed by that, um, but it was it was a decision that we made in, in, in conjunction with, uh, with Senate leadership and, um, and the governor was, was understanding of, the, of that. And it's just very difficult to, to start making significant changes to a bill and have any confidence that, that there's a full understanding of it, um, when, it was, when it was not what, uh, what we believed we had when we were coming in. I think to, to do anything other than f try to find an expedient um, uh, solution to this is is irresponsible, and I, and I mean I I do think that you know, credit aid, credit rating agencies are, are looking unfavorably at this. Uh, there's real concern over the future of the phase in for for county uh, retirement or county retirement systems. Um, I, I think that it demanded uh, a a very very quick uh, re response. A special session should have never been called at four o'clock on. Um, uh, Monday afternoon to have us in here at 8 o'clock. I have always said never call a special session unless you have an agreement on the bill that you've got the votes to pass that bill when you come into session. What this has been is really a waste of money for the people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky to try to come in here on short notice without an agreement, without a Democratic caucus being consulted, informed, or brought in to try to reach any kind of compromise or any kind of conversation that they would like to have. This is a big difference of agreement. We believe that the bill that they have introduced does nothing to the unfunded liability. It hurts teachers being hired to come into the classroom. And we believe that with all honesty and all respect, 
that the, that the reforms that were passed in 2013 are working and we believe we ought to for, uh, find them as we move forward. Even the retirement systems have confirmed that. The only significant effort has been struck down and that there wasn't enough intestinal fortitude to carry it forward. Let me be very, very clear. The people that you've heard from, including Speaker Osborne, he did a good job. He came back and tried to rally folks forward, as did all the other leadership in both the House. And it was a little less of an issue for the Senate at this point because of where it started. This isn't a function of the intent of leadership or a desire on the part of most people who came here. They did do what they should have done. They came back and attempted to fix this before the downgrades come, before this problem is exacerbated. They came up short. It happens. It's nobody's fault, it's just the reality. The votes are there or the votes are not there. The vast majority of people who are retirees happen to be Democrats. Always have been, continue to be. The vast majority of people that are in the system now working toward retirement are also Democrats. If ever there was a party that should have led on this, it should be the Democrat Party. It should be the leaders in the House that should have been rallying, trying to find a solution, coming up with a way to save this system. Instead, they are literally, through the most, some of the most remarkable hypocrisy, which was appropriately called out by the Speaker, some of the most posturing, self-aggrandizing, posturing and hypocrisy I've ever seen. People are pretending that they weren't part of the very problem. They've punted on this and advocated on it for years. They don't have a solution. Have you asked any of the people in opposition to this what their solution is? They don't have one. There is none. The problem is a huge problem. And for anybody who is in the retirement system or is working toward hoping to someday have a retirement, this is a dark and sad day. So all of that uh, in less than 48 hours, and I know you went to Frankfurt on Tuesday morning when the committee hearings were being held. Was it obvious early that things were unraveling? Well, I think just the way this whole thing got underway, there was a lot of uncertainty. And it was, it was pretty clear first thing that morning that people were unsure what exactly was gonna play out. There were the rumors swirling already about them adjourning and just you know, saying we, we can't get anything resolved. That bill being debated uh, would have gone back to more substantial changes, right? That's right. Um, so essentially the bills that were filed late Monday night were, were kind of the governor's wishes for pension reform. Um, and, and Tuesday at the committee meeting, the committee tasked with hashing out those bills, they first read a letter from the governor's general counsel, Steve Pitt, explaining why they took some changes out of these bills, feeling that they would be challenged in court. This is something that's already been hung up in court. They just wanted to get a start on it without worrying about that. Well, a lot of lawmakers were proud of the work done in Senate Bill 151 the previous session, and they wanted to put those things back in. 
Hillary, uh, obviously uh, the, the governor characterizes this as a crisis, is very financially impactful for the state, and then you heard uh, Rocky Adkins, the Democratic leader in the House, saying we fixed this in 2013 as long as uh, the, the actuarial amounts are funded uh, going forward that all of this uh, will be okay, and they go on to say that everybody doesn't retire at one time, that this is over a length of time. Uh, pretty divided. That's kind of the the line in the sand there. You're either on one side or you're not, and that's where a lot of the disagreement comes in. There was reference to uh, Moody's investments. Uh, they did not downgrade Kentucky's uh, credit rating, uh, but they did uh, make note of it, we'll say that. Uh, now, where does this go from here? As we head into the regular session starting next month, uh, it does require uh, 60 votes to pass something, right? Right, and you mentioned the Moody's um, kind of putting out a statement saying that, that they are concerned, but they also said that it's only a minor setback if they can get something passed in 2019. So I think everyone knows it's gonna be a high priority this session. It'll be interesting to see though, because in the House, you have, I think, about 30 new faces coming in, and they're gonna really have to hit the, hit the ground running and try and wrap their heads around a very complicated issue. And some of them were frustrated that they didn't have a say in this special session. Right. And they, we talked to Travis they ran Brenda, their, yeah. their campaigns on, on pension reform. There's another bill, there's two bills that are, that are coming out on another issue, and that's the property tax increase that, uh, in Fayette County did that quickly when they passed a, uh, to get $13 million to do security upgrades. Uh, there was not uh, a successful effort to bring that to the ballot, and a couple of lawmakers want to make that easier. That's right. Representative Stanley and Senator Ralph Alvarado, who both represent parts of Fayette County, they said when they were campaigning, that's the number one thing they heard from voters in Fayette County was that they didn't feel um, that it was right. They didn't get to have a say in their taxes being increased. Not that they were against the increase, but they simply wanted to be able to vote on it. So they're trying to modernize and simplify the process of, of petitioning for a recall vote. Right now it's a, it's a pretty cumbersome task for a county as large as Fayette County. All right, thanks, Hillary. Uh, busy week back for you, huh? It was. It <laughs> and was. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, too. And stay with us here on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, the Lexington Bluegrass Area Board of Realtors, Elbar on home prices and trends as we head into a new year. Coming up on Kentucky Newsmakers. And we welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us today. Christmas time finds a lot of families gathered around their home and the end of the year gives us all a chance to reflect and look ahead. So what is the housing market doing in central and southern Kentucky as we head into 2019? And is winter a good time to get your home ready if you're planning to sell or look for what may be out there? Joining us this morning, the executive director, the CEO of Elbar, the Lexington Bluegrass Association of Realtors, Justin Landon, and Longtime Lexington realtor John Groft, who is wrapping up his term as president of the largest association of realtors in the Bluegrass. Gentlemen, thanks for coming. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Uh, Landon, first, we've heard uh, some national chatter about the real estate market cooling out there some. How do you describe the, the trends that we're seeing as we head toward 2019? Sure. I think, you know, generally as you come toward the end of the year, you're going to see things slow down a little bit, but um, that doesn't mean there's still not a lot of activity out there. We are seeing inventory levels come up a little bit. Uh, and that's sort of reflective of where the market has been throughout the year. 
prices, uh, median prices across the country have been up throughout the year and are probably a little bit slow to correct to that increased inventory levels. Uh, we're also seeing interest rates come up a little bit where they were at maybe three and three quarters back in the spring. They're up to something like five and a quarter now. Uh, and I think we just heard uh, the other day that there'll be another rate increase, uh, but that probably means less rate increases next year which means that we should see a nice steady market moving into next year. Uh, NAR's national economist Lawrence Yoon said it would be a boring year for real estate in 2019, mm -hmm. which for those of us who enjoyed a healthy 2019 <laughs> market or 2018 market, that's a good thing. Well, do the local trends reflect uh, the national trends pretty well? Uh, they, they do, generally speaking. I think what's interesting about our market, and, and John may be able to speak a little bit better about this than I can, uh, is that we have a very... Uh, bifurcated market, which is the Lexington-Fayette market is one thing, and the, less, the rest of the bluegrass region is sort of uh, an altogether different animal. How do those differ, John? Well, I think in Fayette County, if you look at some of the numbers, uh, Fayette County really only represents about a third of the uh, transactions in the area that we cover, and we cover 26 counties. So when you look at those numbers, we see a lot of growth in the surrounding counties of Fayette County. We have a lot of people that are willing to go outside the county that may be working there. Uh, they see the opportunity of finding new construction and some homes that are on the market it gives them a little better choice. So I think that when you see that, um, real estate really is a local source rather than on national. It's, it's good to compare national and regional and, and your local, but it, it, real estate is really local. I know Landon, you spotted as soon as you moved here, and we, we had an interview last uh, earlier uh, in the year, uh, that uh, there may be a little bit more permissive zoning in some of the surrounding counties, and that is allowing some of that development that is tougher in, in Fayette County. Yeah, the reality is there just aren't as many opportunities for uh, new construction to take place in Lexington Fayette. There just aren't as many lots. And so we were seeing that reflected in the prices, right? So the median home price in 2018 for Lexington Fayette is just over $200,000 for the year. Uh, outside of Fayette County, we're looking at something closer to uh, about $160,000 mm -hmm. average median price. Uh, and a lot of that is just related to the amount of inventory that's available in those markets. Well, how tight is the, the inventory challenge? I, you, you know, we hear some realtors say that they could sell homes all day if they had them listed. Correct. Uh, and uh, is that the situation? That is somewhat in the situation. You see it in pocket areas. You see certain price ranges now. Our sweet spot seems to be uh, 120000 to 180000 And when you look at that segment of uh, price range, you, we typically have right now about 2.7 months. Uh, in a normal market, we have around six months of inventory. So it's still compressed a little bit, but what you, you see is there are certain price ranges that are moving more than others. Uh, three hundred to 400000 seems to be our fastest growing uh, segment, but really our average is at 120 to 180, and I think that sees uh, a lot of difference because nationally we've been ranked um, on on the affordability in regards to that, and that seems to be in that price range that we see uh, most people are looking for. But the 300 range seems to be moving really well for us. As you look uh, toward the new year that we have coming, uh, what would you tell potential, let's say, sellers first? What do you tell potential sellers about to where things may go in the new year with the potential for uh, interest rates to, to go up some? Well, that's an interesting point. Um, so we're telling sellers right now that it's still a great opportunity to sell your home. Uh, being a realtor for the past 16 years, I've been able to sell property every month. So there's always buyers that, that are out there actively trying to look for homes. I think the key to letting sellers know is that interest rates are still historically low. So buyers are going to take advantage of that opportunity to come out and buy their home. They're looking for a good value, but I think for sellers that gives them the opportunity to still get a fair price because the interest rates are allowing buyers to get a good deal as well. Um, we feel like that uh, basically during this time period that it's still a great time to have your house on the market. 
Uh, there's been situations where people come into our area during the holidays to visit families and they're actively looking for homes. So as a realtor, we're continually being busy and uh, it doesn't matter really what time of the year it might be. Oh. And the truth is, uh, John, you know, is if you're out there looking for a home in 30 degree weather right. here before Christmas, you're probably a pretty serious buyer. <laughs> right. and so there, if you've got your home on the market right now, you're not getting looky-loos, you're getting people ready to, Which, ready to buy. Correct. If you'll go in somewhere where they haven't uh, turned the heat on very long. That, that happens <laughs> as well, yes sir. Uh, when you uh, uh, talk about neighborhoods and, you know, and, and that's changing, uh, what, you know, when you sit down with somebody and you talk about where they would like to go, I mean, it, some want an established uh, neighborhood, mm -hmm. maybe an older neighborhood. Some want the, the new ones with the, with sure. all of the amenities. Uh, is that something that very quickly uh, helps you determine uh, where you might look? Yeah, I think so. So when we're talking to buyers, we basically go over four criteria. We're looking for a layout of a home that meets their needs. We're looking for a location that really works for them. Price is a factor that they're looking for because they're going to be able to qualify for that there. And then the condition of the home. So if you put those four factors together when we talk to buyers, it's kind of a checklist and when we walk them through a home, we kind of review at that point and say, okay, did we meet all four? Did we get three? Did we meet one? And then that's a great way for uh, buyers to analyze what a home might be. But neighborhoods are very important basically because of the amenities they might offer. Uh, sometimes they're looking for a neighborhood that's a little quiet, a little more mature. Sometimes they want a, a newer home where they have a lot of new things going on in that neighborhood. School districts uh, come into play when people are looking? Always very important. Yeah. Certainly. And uh, what about traffic questions? Does those come up? You know, how, how long? Do, you know, there was recently, we were talking about the development issues, recently a, a zone battle over in uh, Richmond, the second largest city in, in, the, mm -hmm. in the Bluegrass, and, uh, and they eventually won approval. But uh, City Hall heard a lot from people who were very concerned about uh, traffic maybe cutting through mm -hmm. their neighborhood if this new one was developed. Is that uh, common? Yeah, I think one of the things that we hear consistently is that traffic is a concern in Lexington Fayette, of course, still being relatively new to this region. I've been here uh, just about eight months. Mm -hmm. You know, I find the traffic to be uh, really not so bad compared to, to other metropolitan <laughs> areas around the country. But uh, what we are seeing is that there's real traffic patterns. There is a lot of neighborhood cut throughs and that no, no, no question does that impact, you know, quality of life in neighborhoods. And so we do see that come up a lot. Um, but, you know, I think to, to handle that, we just need to be very forward looking and make sure that we're having a regional approach to how we move people uh, in and out. As John said, people are moving out to Scott and Madison mm -hmm. uh, and Jessamine. In fact, we're now seeing that about a third of our market uh, is really those three counties mm -hmm. uh, in, in the bluegrass region. And so people are moving there and we've got to figure out how to get them from there to into Lexington Fayette where many of them work. Lennon, you've worked in public policy and, and some other things. Do you uh, think that the Bluegrass region is coordinating its, uh, its planning uh, very well at this point? I think there's a tremendous desire to have a regional approach. I don't know that we're there quite yet. Uh, I think one of the challenges we have in Kentucky, of course, is we have 120 counties, which right. means there's a lot of, of individual uh, decision makers, and it's, you know, it's hard to get all the, all the right people in the right room, but I do think uh, there is a commitment uh, to have a regional approach. Uh, we've just got to you know, put that roadmap together. You know, the wants and needs of customers, John, change over time, over over a life cycle, certainly. Yes, some, uh, they want the starter home, and then maybe the uh, at some point uh, the, the, the larger, maybe a McMansion at some exactly. point, and then they downsize. Uh, so so you, how often is, is that a factor in the decisions people are making? Yeah, that's an important thing. So basically when we're talking to buyers, we try to give them uh, an idea to help share with us things that are important to them. A lot of things that come up in regards to that is going to be the layout of the home. If it's more of a, 
a person that's downsizing, they want to make sure that they have the least amount of steps that they can. If it's a growing family, then obviously they want to have space where everyone has a place to maybe gather together as a family unit, but then also have some private areas that they can do that. Backyard, space, amenities are very important. So when we talk to buyers, you know, they try to look down a list to check things that they might want to hit. And then it's our job as professional realtors to find that home for them. Some want the five or 10 acres of land and some don't want to have to mow it, right? That's right. Is that, That's right. <laughs> is that what you have going on? <laughs> there was a, a you know, there, there's, it seems to be this move back and forth sometimes to the city, yes, out of the city. And that seems to be somewhat tied to gasoline prices. About 10 years ago, there was really a, a move back to the urban core. Uh, in, a, in a lot of uh, places in America. Uh, at this point, those prices are down. Are people mm -hmm. easing on out a little bit right now? Is I think so. I think that that impacts their decisions a lot in buying a home. Um, a lot of times that we see, we see the millennial uh, generation that's come along. They like that density. They like being downtown. So that's not a concern for them. But those that are still living out in that McMansion home or, or outside the county, that is a factor that they try to look at in regards to the expense of traveling to a job and uh, just commuting in any type of entertainment and things they want to do on the weekend. All right. We are with uh, the Lexington Bluegrass Board of Realtors. We're at Elbar. We're talking about uh, what they do and what maybe they could do for you uh, in terms of uh, hiring a professional realtor if you have some uh, real estate plans for the new year. We're coming back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us this morning. We're continuing to visit with uh, the leaders of Elbar, the uh, Board of Realtors in the area. Uh, Justin La uh, Landon is with us and longtime realtor John Groft, who's wrapping up his term as president of the association. Justin uh, runs the office and all of the uh, <laughs> other things that go on there. And that's, Justin, one of the things you wanted to point out is that uh, realtors, uh, while they're uh, involved every day in showing homes and making transactions, uh, you, you try to have a community among those realtors who do a lot uh, for the community. That's right. You know, I like to always think of the realtor as the ambassador to the community. I mean, they are often a person's first contact with the community. Uh, and with that in mind, the realtor uh, in many communities is a community builder. And uh, many years ago, LBAR stood up an organization called the Realtor Community Housing Foundation. Uh, and that foundation is really dedicated to helping people stabilize in their homes uh, so they don't have to move. Uh, and two of the missions that we have in that, in that organization is one, building accessibility ramps uh, for disabled folks who maybe are going to have to move because they can't get in and out of their home. Uh, we did 25 of those in the Bluegrass region last year alone. Uh, and we've been doing those for, for over a decade. And then we've also partnered with the Habitat for Humanity and REACH uh, to uh, actually do repair, major repair work in homes where otherwise at-risk communities or at-risk families would have to leave their home because they don't have HVAC or they have a hole in their roof. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've partnered with those organizations uh, financially and with volunteer hours uh, to help stabilize those families in their homes, keep our neighborhoods strong, and keep people living uh, where they work. How big is the region now for LBAR? Uh, we're 26 counties. You, basically, uh, you go down I-75, right? That's right. We go all the way down to Laurel County, Knox County, uh, and as far north as Cynthiana, uh, as far east as Moorhead, and as far west as uh, Lawrenceburg and a little beyond. John, why do you urge people to go with a professional realtor when the, may, they may be convinced they can do this themselves, you know, put up a sign and, uh, and, and, sure. and, and get on a website or something? Well, I think a couple of reasons why we think that that's uh, an important thing. Uh, first of all, I think there's a lot of legality in a transaction of a home, and we are trained in continuing to be educated on what the current uh, conditions are and, and things that we can do to help them. It's not just 
filling out the paperwork and doing that. It's our knowledge that we learn uh, from continuing education that teaches us what we need to understand to help them in a transaction. On the buyer side, it's extremely important, making sure that we're doing our fiduciary rights to represent them in the right manner. Um, not only just educating them on how to purchase a home, but guiding them through the transaction and then continuing that relationship afterwards uh, so that we can meet their needs. If somebody sees you know, a realtor's name on a sign, a for sale sign, and then they contact that realtor, they are contacting the, uh, the seller's representative, um, and they can act as a dual agent, right? But uh, is, That's that, correct, is yeah. that recommended or is that? Well, some uh, brokers uh, do that policy there. It's up to them, so it's not really up to the yeah. agent. So depending on what uh, company you're with, they'll allow that there. It's very important if you're doing dual agency that you have both parties interested in, in mind because sometimes you may feel like it's easy to be on both sides but there is a situation where you want to make sure it's fair and we treat everyone in the right manner. The one thing I would say uh, Bill is that people don't often realize that there are really only three professions that are required by law to be a fiduciary which means they put their own interests ahead of their clients mm -hmm. and those are lawyers, doctors, and realtors. Uh, by law they're a fiduciary which means the interest of that client always comes first. Um, and as realtors, they ascribe to a higher code of ethics than just any old real estate agent. A realtor is something special. Uh, and that code of ethics means that we're not just fiduciaries, we go above and beyond that. Which means that when you're working with a realtor, you can ensure that that person is going to put your concerns and your interests before their own. Is the profession doing a good job of uh, attracting uh, new people coming in? Uh, there are a lot of folks uh, who have been at it a while, John, sure, right? Sure. Uh, is that a challenge for real estate companies? Boy, uh, no. Uh, we okay. have a, we have quite a few new folks coming in to the profession, and in fact, we had uh, several hundred come into mm -hmm. the profession this year alone. One of the most fascinating things is real estate has often been historically a second career, meaning somebody has retired from teaching yeah. school or or being a, a law enforcement officer, and they get into real estate as a second career. This year, our data shows that over half the people that got mm -hmm. into the business this year were under the age of 35, which tells us that it's a, a first career we'll for many as, people, and as, that's as very interesting. Showing a home. Uh, if uh, somebody's out there this morning and, they, you know, of course, as we're heading into Christmas, the house mm -hmm. may be all decorated and so right. forth and has all the family trappings. If you're, you're getting it ready, we have less than a minute now, if you're getting it ready to put on the market, let's say in the spring, what should you do now? Maybe yeah, I think the, after Christmas. <laughs> I think the key is after Christmas making sure that you keep your home neutral. Um, allow a person to walk into the home and see a blank canvas to where they can actually picture themselves in the home, their furniture, their family gatherings and things of that nature. So the important factor is making sure that you keep it neutral and uh, make it somewhere where someone can walk in and feel like it's their home. Do people sometimes want to put their their memories and their emotions into the, the price they Most want? Most definitely. That comes <laughs> a lot and we try to guide them through that process and help them out. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Our and pleasure. Merry Christmas to you. Really you appreciate too. it. Merry we'll Christmas see you in the thank new you, year. Bill. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us for this edition of WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you this week, bright and early on WKYT this morning. Have a Merry Christmas and a good week ahead.